Hallo Leute, Servus, welcome to episode 25 of the Mia Sunrope podcast. Um, I know we are just coming back to you after a very short break, but there was a very interesting, I think, DFB Pokal semifinal. Uh, Bayern, of course, won 6-2, maybe a little bit sneakily. I, I didn't think that that was the result it was going to be. I tipped it to be 3-1. Um, but joining me in a, in, in a short um, and quick podcast are Tom and Eric from the Neverkusen podcast site to uh, chat this one out with me. Tom, how are you today? Yeah, hi, good, good to talk to you. Uh, yeah, sl- uh, slowly recovering. <laughs> I think we are. We might all be slightly recovering. And Eric, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing well, thanks, Susie. Good to talk to you. Yeah, it's always lovely to have you on. And Tom, thank you for joining us today as well. Um, so those two, you two, were actually at the match in Leverkusen, and. Um, Tom, can you start? Uh, what was what was the feeling like surrounding the game, and and just give me kind of an idea of of the stadium atmosphere? Well, generally, the feeling I think uh, was um, remarkably positive. Um, I've I work with a lot of Cologne fans in this, and yeah, I think Liverpool's not going to do it, and I think. There was a lot of positivity going into the match from all the Leverkusen fans that um, that I, I uh, bumped into and spoke to. But just to show how difficult it is to predict these matches for us against Bayern, like our um, our podcast uh, WhatsApp group, it was split right down the middle um, as to what our approach to the match should be. Uh, half of us said, yeah, we have to sit back and suck up the pressure. The other other half said, no, no, we have to attack and go for it. Um, so expectations were that we could do it, but how exactly we should go about it, we didn't really know. <laughs> you know, it's funny, like... Um... I'm going to talk about uh, what we were doing here in South Florida in a little bit, but just looking at the starting 11 for Leverkusen gave a lot of Bayern fans a little bit of pause, right? Like this could go poorly. Yeah, I think, I think uh, in part, you know, it, it's, it's exactly as Tom says and Tom, uh, Tom, uh, notes that half of us were split. Tom and I, who are the eternal optimists on the podcast, uh, <laughs> were saying, no, we've got to take the game to Bayern Munich. And Frida and Pat, uh, our uh, co-partners in the podcast, said, no, we have to sit back and we have to make sure that we defend the wings. Uh, and it certainly turned out that they were uh, 100% right and Tom and I were 100% wrong. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it was a little bit, you know, it's, it, it is the case that it, it was a little bit unclear as to how we would play. Um, Haley started with a back line of three that uh, looked after 10 minutes to have been exactly the wrong mistake. But then when he switched to a back line of four in the second half, that got even worse. So it was very, <laughs> it's kind of difficult to say which was the right choice uh, at which time. But I think, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I 
uh, certainly our lineup our lineup was there, and I think he made some good moves uh, playing Kimo Bellarabi instead of Leon Bailey right off the bat. We were somewhat restricted by a couple of injuries, um, specifically Wendell, which uh, put Paniatos Retsos in the back line, who did a fairly good job, and I think did for the most part a good job of shutting down Iron Robin in the first half, but then he also succumbed to, uh, to a yellow card in the first half and basically had to be subbed off at halftime in order to avoid being a man down, and that kind of threw the game plan a little bit out of whack. Ultimately, Leverkusen has done a lot this season, is conceded way too early and had to play from behind, and that's worked out for us pretty well throughout the season, but that's obviously against teams that aren't Bayern Munich, and uh, definitely getting two goals shipped uh, after 10 minutes there was there was a lot of palpable uh, anger in in the stadium let me put it that way well, uh, really i you know what i don't think that was that can't be like the quickest goal in pokal right probably not but it's up there <laughs> but it's way up there and um <laughs> so did did the stadium like Totally, was everybody flummoxed by by Lewandowski's first goal three minutes in? <laughs> Actually, I think we've been starting to get used to it because I mean I've been to so many Liverpool matches and we have a bit of a our crowd can be a bit um, I don't know like we have quite high expect uh, expectations of our team and if things don't go right you can you can hear people sort of. Um, voice their sort of uh, disapproval, but or like feel or feel everybody's disapproval, <laughs> like it's just this, like something just just sets in, you know, where it may not even be vocal, but you feel like everybody around you is just ready to yeah punch, punch kittens or punch babies. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and then the next thing is if someone makes a mistake, not a bad mistake, and then you'll hear hear the groans and stuff. That <laughs> uh, is definitely something that that we have and that isn't great. But um, yesterday it was I felt it was different because we went we went to go goal down and we went two goals down and we kept supporting uh, even even like the. Um, even like uh, the spectators on the on the more expensive seats that usually only start cheering if we're three 0 up. Right, right. Like they were still up for it, and, um, and that's why it felt a bit like we were <laughs> like we a third division side. <laughs> exactly, like we were the plucky underdog uh, taking on this uh, huge team, and but we're third in the league, like just. Uh, couple of spots behind Bayern. Right. So, yeah, it is kind of, it's a conundrum in that regard. Uh, I really, I have to say, uh, I don't get to as many matches as Tom does, obviously, uh, living in the U.S., but uh, with the ones I've been to, Tom's accurately described, it's if, if we're up three to nothing, everything goes wonderfully in the stadium. If we make some mistakes and we're down one to two, you can really be, he, begin to hear the uh, kind of the grumblings. And the guy standing next to me yesterday, he was a wonderful example of that. He just was freaking out with every Bayern goal. 
all. And uh, and then yesterday, though, even with those freakouts, people, I've got to say, the Capos did a wonderful, or the Capo did a wonderful job, and the Ultras did a wonderful job of keeping people singing, keeping everybody really just excited for the match. I mean, even at five to one or whatever, or four to one, whatever it was, when you knew the game was kind of already lost, Leverkusen was, Leverkusen fans, especially in the North End, were really, really cheering the team on. And it was wonderful to be a part of it. Uh, It may have seemed a little desperate and it may have seemed somewhat, I think everybody kind of knew. It was one of those situations where everybody knew we weren't going to win, but we'd be damned if, I think part of it too, we'd be damned if we, you know, going to be outshouted by Bayern Munich fans in the stadium. Right. And uh, yeah, and Tom brought up later that idea that it did feel like we were kind of a third division club uh, and um, and that, you know, we really, should we really be cheering so hard at, uh, at a result that ends six to two? But I, I think, I think it, I think it was just the case. This has been for the most part, especially when you consider where we were last year by Leverkusen under Robert Schmidt and then Typhoon and Korkut. Uh, I think, I, I think really there was a genuine desire to, fire up the team um, continue on with the fans or continue uh, make sure all the fans around us were you know um, cheering as well and making sure that um, that uh, yeah that the team felt that support and uh, I, I just read a quote where Heiko Herrlich the coach uh, just said you know he, he's never been involved in the game as a player or a trainer in which the fans supported the team that was losing two to six that much so I think I think yeah I think you can take positives and kind of <laughs> negatives from it. Yeah, it's an interesting conundrum. I think um, yeah, uh, the team was cheered off after losing six two, and there's some people that say now that you have to whistle them, you have to boo them, you have to show them. Oh look, this isn't good enough. Um, but also, I think our team can in the past has always been a bit sensitive, and yeah, then the, the other side. Yeah, do you have to show them that you don't agree with? that kind of performance or do you try to keep the the spirits high and, and say yeah look keep going and cheer them on and uh, try to encourage them to keep the uh, keep I mean the honestly uh, honestly I feel like you guys could be talking about um, the crowd at the Allianz Arena as well <laughs> Right. Well, I think uh, half of them were at the Bay Arena too. That's been that's actually been an issue at, uh, that I've been talking and reading about a lot. One of the one of the one of the things about and, and probably every team experiences this whenever Bayern comes or Bayern comes to visit is that all of a sudden you have these fans in the stadium and I'm not exactly sure why but Bayer let in a lot of away fans not just in the away section but a lot of they sneak in was, all over the place right yeah exactly <laughs> and uh, you know one of the chants that they sing um, through uh, one of the fa- chants that opposing teams and opposing teams fans sing throughout these matches because we you know there's the assumption that there are a lot of glory boy Bayern Munich fans is that you've never been to Munich basically saying that like you guys are fans of this team that you've actually in whose city you've never been to and 
you're just basically glory hunters. And there was some evidence of that. I mean, there are uh, there were definitely uh, some complaints about Bayern Munich fans being let into uh, with uh, being let in with season tickets uh, with season ticket cards and kind of you know probably being. Bayern Munich fans who live in and around this area and are just genuinely interested in football, but when Bayern Munich comes to play, they bring out their colors, and it's a little bit... I I can understand why that might be a little bit frustrating for fans who are regularly in the stadium. But that's down to us, then, in the the end. Yeah. Yeah. But... And but Bayern Munich's away fans are, like, some of the loudest, rowdiest... They're good people, and they're like yeah, they're, they're, they're like salt of the earth cool, good people. Yeah. I mean, the people that travel regularly and that have the the away tickets. That's a that's a really interesting. It's an interesting group to be like sat in the middle of as well, especially if you don't go to matches on a regular basis, like me, because I'm based in the United States, like Eric. You know what I mean? But like. To get amongst those people, they're like salt of the earth and like true, 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 like hardcore scarf wearing, vest wearing, patches wearing, you know, Bayern Munich supporters. No, I mean, it was, they, they did a, you know, they, they definitely, especially the away section basically um, did a pretty damn good job throughout the uh, entire evening. And not that it was difficult after losing six to two, out uh, of winning six to two, but they did a really good job of firing up the team. And there were, there were probably too many other Bayern Munich fans sprinkled out throughout the stadium. As a matter of fact, it came to a fight, uh, I think in the second half in the E block, which is to the right of the, uh, to the right of the uh, North End. And you could tell it was just the Leverkusen fans and Bayern Munich fans who got a little bit too close. And tell oh, and Sandro Wagner, he was he was instigating, he was uh, uh, gesturing, and uh, yeah, he. I, I blame him. <laughs> <laughs> what was what was all the uh, paper being thrown on the field, especially at Aryan Robin, like to start the match? Was I that, know that first that Tom and I were talking about that, that first corner kick took like five minutes to, <laughs> yeah, to get off right. because there's so much shit being thrown. But that was uh, I didn't get a chance. Obviously, we didn't get a chance to see what the choreo was because we were holding up the paper at the beginning of the match. Right. Um, but the North End had a uh, you know a choreo a, a tifo whatever you want to call it, and the they just left a big pieces of red paper, red or black paper, and uh, everybody held them up at the appropriate moment. And then, yeah, you have all these pieces of paper, basically, once you're done with them. And, uh, yeah, as soon as he took that first corner kick, okay. they started flying. And any time they took a corner kick in that end, or any end for that matter, uh, <laughs> except near near the away, uh, near the away stands, uh, you saw a lot of paper missiles, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. So um, you guys were in the stadium, and I was down in Coral Gables, which is like South Miami, um, with a FC Bayern US uh, fan club event um, that turned out magnificently. Um, yeah, it looked like it. 
It was it was shenanigans, guys. It was absolute. <clears throat> it was absolute bananas. So um, we have our fan club in Boca, and then there's one. We have an American German club a little bit north of us. They came down, meet met us in Boca, and we took a bus down together to meet up with the Miami people. Um, and I was kind of not co-chair, but I was partially involved in planning the event with the FC Bayern U.S. office. And uh, we didn't expect the amount of people that we got. Um, Lothar Mateus came in and signed autographs um, and took pictures before the match. And it was so overwhelming that he had to do it at halftime as well. Um, originally, I was supposed to have an interview with Lothar post-match, but because everything was so, like, bananas and busy, that didn't happen. Um, but man, it was awesome. We had such, I mean, of course, the result just makes, like, you know, it's cherry on top of the cake. But it was such a neat, neat thing to do. And uh, the FC Bayern U.S. office was down here uh, giving a press conference in Miami about the inner, uh, the international champions cup. And, uh, they will be playing Manchester city here in Miami at the end of July. They're also playing PSG and I forgot where that is. And they're playing Juventus in Philadelphia. Um, PSG is in Paris. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't actually care, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, I was just kidding. I know you meant you don't know where the game is. I don't is actually care, Florida. so it doesn't matter. So <laughs> so we had nearly three hundred people taking off work for a day and uh coming to a uh, German restaurant, well it's owned by an Austrian, but Fritz and Franz in Coral Gables. And it was such a a neat cool experience like to see that many people come together at such an inconvenient time and everyone in Bayern jerseys and wow it was really cool we had ESPN Deportes is a, um, the Spanish speaking ESPN broadcasted the match and then they had uh, live feeds from from us at the restaurant like several times throughout the match as well and it was just it was really cool to see this like that level in the United States, especially South Florida. South Florida is known for like nobody gives a shit about anything, you know, like unless you, unless yeah, unless you're unless your team is winning, we're not going, you know, whether that's Dolphins or Heat or Marlins. Or Marlins, or Marlins. (laughs) (laughs) Mostly the Marlins. (laughs) Especially the Marlins. Um, So so to see that many people get together, I think between the three local fan clubs, we got almost 100 new members signed up. Oh, great. Which is fantastic, because we're all kind of small. You know, we have these little communities and whatever, and it's not this big, big, big thing yet but we're trying to make it so and uh yeah it was wow it was a great time had by all and i can tell you what on the the bus we took back from coral gables to boca raton so you're talking about hour and a half or or whatever 
like all the young like 20 you know young 20 year olds they were all passed out and all like the 70 year old guys in the back are also like yeah (laughs) (laughs) and it was it was just it was a really really cool thing Uh, unfortunately I had to do um probably more work than I wanted to do, um, but, uh, to kind of foster this, uh, budding relationship, especially between the fan clubs and to, uh, kind of get Bayern Munich in the conversation because down here it's all Real Madrid, Barcelona. Sure, that makes sense. Yeah, but it, it seems to me, uh, purely from an outside 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 this perspective, that um, the club um, Bayern Munich seem to um, promote a lot of support in the US, like with the uh, social media channels and. Uh, yeah, it's you know it's and this is a really interesting thing. So I have been either writing or talking about Bayern for just about 10 years now. I got started back in 2008 writing about Dave Bay for ESPN. And then that evolved to Bayern Munich as well. And here we are today, 10 years later. Um, It's... Bayern, uh, the U.S. office and the way they approach, especially social media, a lot of like German stalwarts will say that it's like shit or it's candy and it can't be taken seriously. But when you look at the fandoms um, between Europe and the United States, um, they have to be approached differently. And what FC Bayern U.S. has done, I feel like, has the U.S. office in New York, is they've loosened up the German side a little bit. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it's very important because in uh, German supporters' culture, there is um, a lot of focus on tradition and certain ways of doing things. And um, like social media is definitely one that isn't uh, readily accepted. So um, I think it's important to change things up for the market you want to you want to reach. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I feel like I feel like the uh, the U.S. account for Bayern kind of uh, spearheaded this whole. Um, this whole thing into where all the other Bundesliga accounts kind of had to let go of themselves a little bit and, and be funny and be cool. And I think it's a really, really, uh, it's a neat relationship that I think helps everyone in the Bundesliga as well. I think our two clubs have a good rivalry. Yeah, totally fun on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> really, really fun on Twitter. And I love that sort of stuff, uh, you know, but I can understand from like a German standpoint where people are like, that's crap. This shouldn't be happening. This is, you know, whatever for your club or my club too. You know what I mean? And it's just sort of this uh, dragging everyone into the future where we maybe don't have to take 
football so seriously all the time? Yeah, but I think generally that is the thing, like uh, this side of the Atlantic, we don't like you inventing our stuff new. <laughs> like be, be be pizza, be it uh, right uh, English accents. Uh. <laughs> no, everyone here loves English accents. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> myself included. I'm raising my hand in case you can't. No, no I mean the other way around. I mean, yeah. uh, we over here we don't like. Uh, that is the general thing that um, they don't like. You inventing the reinventing the accents, but well, I right. I think language is doesn't belong to anyone. I think it's uh... right, Eric. Uh, how are you feeling about this? Uh, the the approach that Bundesliga clubs are taking to um, like U.S. based Twitter accounts and such. Yeah, I mean, I'm a fan of social media. I'm especially a fan of Twitter. And it's a great way to keep up with news. And I, I, you know, I do like the, if you just compare the two Bayer Leverkusen accounts, the American account or the English account is much more lighthearted and much more interactive with fans, which I think obviously is important in order to gain and increase your fan, uh, your fandom. Um, and the, the German, the, the German one's interesting, but it tends to be a little drier and more just informative than entertaining. But I'm, you know, I'm kind of two ways about it. Uh, well, I, I think in, for the most part, I'm generally in favor, but it, it can be a bit much sometimes. And I do find the, the whole, you know, gifs, memes, etc. It sometimes gets a little bit in the way of the actual team. And sometimes I would say my only criticism, my biggest criticism would be that it focuses too much on individual players at times than the team itself. Um, but, you know, I understand uh, Germany wants to grow the game, especially internationally. And I think it's important uh, to some extent to do that when your rivals are... <laughs> Um, the English League or the or La Liga, for example, who have a little bit more traction in other parts of the world. So it's it's an, yeah it's it's uh, interesting interesting to observe, uh, mostly for it. Sometimes annoyed by it, but for, you know for the most part, if it puts more um, people in touch, and I, for myself and assuredly uh, for you as well, since we're not located in Germany, it does sometimes make it easier to get in touch with people who do have a closer physical and proximal relationship to this team than we have. Yeah, I I find it kind of interesting. So um, I missed when Bayern came here, was it last year, maybe two years ago? But I was, I was at, um, in 2014, after Pep had just been hired, I was at the Portland and New York events for Bayern and I was writing for ESPN at the time ESPN and I only got like basic press passes like no on field no anything just you know you can be in the press box for the event whatever which was kind of stunning to me um, only because I'd been promoting the team for so long in the United States. And I figured, especially writing and working for ESPN, 
that I might have got a little bit, you know, VIP. Yeah, it's. I think you know, it's it's uh, German football is a little bit unique in that there seems to be there seems to be still maybe an old faction, if you will, or this idea of tradition and the game that the game is doing just fine within Germany and doesn't need to expand beyond Germany in order to be successful. Um, you and I talked not too long ago about the 50 plus one rule, which is something that uh, whatever way you look at it, and most people seem to view it favorably because it stops somewhat the commercialization of the Keeps game. Keeps Bayern at the top. Yeah. <laughs> <That too. laughs> Wait, um, did did Leverkusen uh, vote for nixing it? I doubt it. Uh, no, I'm I mean, pretty like, sure they would have. I mean, Bayern did. Oh, did they? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, have, I have no idea. I didn't, to be honest with you. Um, I'm sorry. Continue. <laughs> I just wanted to. I just wanted. No, to that's a good. That's a good question. Um, I, I, I myself get really. Um, I myself get really tired of that topic because uh, it just sometimes seems like people are clinging on to a fantasy past, not a fantasy past, but a past that isn't going to be a reality uh, in the future. You know, say what you will about it. But um, yeah. I, I think, yeah, I think Germany is just generally a little more traditional and they're not quite as outward facing as England is or as France is or as, say, Italy was in the 1990s. They're right. happy as long as they sell out stadiums and uh, you know I, I think actually your management probably to some extent exemplifies kind of exemplifies that best I think um, Uli Hoeneß, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge are, are really the kind of figureheads if you will of this very conservative movement that cares less about what's going on externally outside of the country and more about well definitely for them ensuring that you know they, the status quo remains so that they can remain at the top and I, I don't but I also think a lot of teams are happy with that even if they're not in the position that Bayern Munich is yeah um so uh getting back to so what I was trying to explain about 2014 is that I was like I was not persona non grata but it wasn't a special occasion um and I was only one of very few people covering Bayern in the United States especially for a very reputable site whatever you think yeah. about whatever you think about ESPN FC is whatever but that's the way that it was but I I can pretty much assure you um, for the Bayern visit this summer in late July into the beginning of August that it's going to be a completely different thing. And this is only because of the FC Bayern U.S. office, right, where mm. they they're they have fostered a change in the way that they develop fans and develop fan clubs. I think we have probably 140 here in the United States right now. Wow. Yeah. It's a really big deal. And they get people to sign up. I mean, I've been a member for years, right? But I don't really, I just have the car, you know, I have the membership card and then I get the magazine. That's pretty much, <laughs> it doesn't really help me to be a member of the club. And most fan club memberships are free to join, free to sign up. They just want people to get in and get involved. And, and maybe they're fostering, uh, 
you know, it might be perceived as false or as glory hunting a little bit. Um, But the event that we had in Miami just showed like the really, really true passion. I'm probably going to put some videos up today. We have like live feeds from ESPN and it was, it was really, it was really cool. It was, uh, I don't even know. I don't even know how to explain it except, and uh, except for uh, it exceeded like any expectation I had of the event. And, um, the, the Bayern U S office has been really, really cool in not only fostering, uh, Bayern Munich throughout the United States, but I think they're also giving a bump up to the Bundesliga in general. Yeah, I think a little recognition goes a long way by the club. Like we, when we started doing our podcast in what, 2009, 11, 11, sorry. Um, <laughs> like the only thing, the closest we got to having any official come on board was uh, have uh, Klaus Schenkmann, the, uh, the, the stadium announcer, come on. And like we, we knew that the club knew that we existed, but they never really gave us any recognition. And I think it doesn't have to be much, but just a little recognition goes a long way. That's not entirely true, though. They did put us in the stadium magazine. Yeah. You've been in the stadium magazine. Yeah, we had like a four-page article. Uh, what the hell yeah. am I? What the hell am I doing? <laughs> Anyway, so enough talking about our feelings and let's have a little chat about the match, right? Sounds good. Okay. Um, so it, it, it really couldn't have started better for Bayern as Robert Lewandowski, um, a shame that his very handsome face has that huge shiner on it, uh, scored just three minutes in. I'm going to do a roll call on the goals. Um, and then we can get into everything. Uh, Javi Martinez was the assist for Lewandowski's opener. Just six minutes later, Lewandowski got his brace with, uh, revitalized Frank Ribery assist. Um, and then, uh, Bender made it, 2-1 in 16 minutes with a Havertz uh, assist, although that was kind of like a ping-pong yeah. uh, pinball, you know, goal around the box. Um, and then that was like a really, really typical DFB Pokal match, right? Just shenanigans, right? And probably everybody in Leverkusen is like, yeah, we got a chance. And Bayern Munich fans might have been might have been biting their fingers a little bit, and then it it the match kind of opened up. Uh, no goals scored past 16 minutes until the second half, uh, when Thomas Müller scored at 52 minutes with a Thiago Alcantara assist. Uh, eight minutes later, Thiago got on the board with a Aryan Robin assist, and then. Four minutes after that, Thomas Müller scored again. 
with another Robin assist. But the best goal of the day was 72 minutes, Leon Bailey's free kick, which was absolutely uncatchable. And it was a beautiful goal. I actually stand up. I standed up and applauded for that. And people were like, what are you doing? I'm like, what? That was perfect. It deserves applause. And then, <laughs> and then six minutes later, uh, Muller got his hat trick uh, with another Chiago assist. Um, so, Eric, you talked a bit about your impressions for the match. Let's hear for Tom. Like, what were your initial impressions going in? Well, my my initial impressions were like we looked rattled, we looked completely rattled. We we couldn't we couldn't uh, free ourselves. We couldn't play the ball out of the back. Uh, we were even too nervous to just whack it uh, whack it away. Um, I think Eric mentioned fullbacks. I think fullbacks were vital. Um, we didn't manage to, to control uh, the Bayern wings. Um, missing uh, missing Wendell was was yeah it was it was a big blow. Um, even the changes then in the second half to go back to back four wasn't good enough. It's um you know. It's kind of funny because uh, looking at from looking at it from the other side, um, I thought Leverkusen did um, really well, um, not suppressing, but being able to exploit uh, Bayern's half press on the day. Um, Leverkusen had their chances, I think, throughout the match. And yeah. it just didn't it didn't come to it just didn't work out for Bayer Leverkusen, I think. I think some of that credit has to be given to Sven Ulreich, who had a fantastic uh, match and I think has obviously been a surprise and uh, an, an incredible gift and hats off to you guys for ever signing him because he, he's been fantastic this season and he made a couple saves, the one off of Bellarabi from the corner kick that really prevented the 2-2 two to two, uh, before the half was uh, a fantastic save where he had to react at the last second and get it out of there. There was another at the beginning of the second half when Kevin Folland and I can't remember who else, it might have been Bella Robbie, had almost a double chance at him yep. in, uh, within you know about 10 seconds and he did well in that situation. And yeah, basically he stepped up when he needed to and I think there was probably a little bit of you know, just the fact that the just the fact that they're um, that was a little bit depressing, not depressing for the Leverkusen players, but deflating. That's the word I'm looking for and that they couldn't get that in. So you have him, you know, you have your keeper playing at a top level like that. And, you know, you're going up against a team like Bayern Munich. Uh, it's it's going to be a little bit deflating. And he did exactly what he had to do in those situations. And then, um, yeah, Leverkusen made a couple of mistakes uh, uh, I think for the most part they did a good job of keeping Robin and Ribery um, uh, out of the match. Ribery had a really nice cross, obviously, for that second goal. But for the most part, I was pretty satisfied with the the the, the work that they did on the wings. 
Um, but yeah, it's yeah, just kind of a story of Leverkusen's life, if you will, a little bit. Uh, just unlucky Aww. in those situations. Aw, guys. Aw. Susie, Susie I, I was wondering, um, you, did, you never really had to get out of second or third gear yeah. for the whole match. It, you, um, know, you, you, you hammered us 6 2. Does that worry you at all? Um, when you have to, I know it's uh, it's not that question that's always asked, but does it worry you when you have to actually um, go against like perform? A, a big... <laughs> but you know, this is so funny. So both of you just took away my next two talking points. So <laughs> I'm like looking at my programming notes right now. I'm like, God damn it! <laughs> but okay, so. Tom, I'm going to answer you first. It, it, it's it's really really interesting, like how I personally think m- mediocre Bayern Munich plays. I don't think it's great. There, if you if you listen to my podcast throughout the season, I basically hand it to him every single week and people probably hate me for that but whatever um well i mean like honestly what else are you going to do it's not like you can just keep talking about how great right how great everything is i mean i love i honestly i love when we lose because i have shit to talk about (laughs) 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 and people are like why are you so excited about the podcast i'm like because i have stuff i have other things to say um I really feel like uh, last season and this, uh, um, even with Yopankis back, Yopankis is not a tactical genius, right? He is a guy. Yeah, I think we'll agree. he is a guy that gets players shit together, for lack of a better word. He's a, he's a guy who knows the club like right, but he's not reinventing the wheel. No. Right. So, so, and then last season through Ancelotti up until October, um, this one, you know, um, it was just tactically horrible and painful to watch like all the time. And it still kind of is. Yopankis is relying on a 4-1-4-1 for most occasions. And... If Javi Martinez is not playing that single pivot, it doesn't work. Yeah. And if Vidal is involved in the midfield, even though now he's out for the season and probably out for Bayern forever. um, Come back home, Arturo. (laughs) It doesn't work. So there there are still some really, really big... Problems uh, when you talk about Bayern, especially uh, them trying to defend counterattacks. Going yeah, forward. ultimately, I think that was you know the, that's exactly going alluding back to what Tom had said earlier in the podcast. Uh, what Leverkusen's strategy strategy should have been, perhaps, would have been to sit back, absorb some pressure, and then counterattack. And counter, it, it, you know what? In in the end, that might have been a smarter move. I mean, yeah. of course, looking from it from the Bayern Munich side, um, not very many teams come out to play, 
right? So we always yeah. like we always like when well, this is why, right? <laughs> exactly. <Six to> two. <laughs> <clears throat> but we always like when teams attack because it opens up the field and makes it more about the whole team rather than just the four or five guys that are playing up front. Yeah, well, it will be. I mean, it will be very curious. Uh, Tom makes a good point. Yapankis uh, is a man manager and also someone who's able to remove discord and conflict pretty easily just by virtue of what he's accomplished as a player, what he's accomplished as a trainer. So I'm curious to see. We're, we're all curious to see. I think the league is curious to see what's going to happen next year. Um, when you have Niko Kovac and what it means for a new trainer like that who has never been really tested internationally and obviously I'm leaving his national team um, national team experience out of this that doesn't really count but as far as club teams are concerned who's never been tested internationally and who's never really had a um, uh, like a roster like a roster like he's about to have yeah, and, and and what he'll be expected to do with it, um, you know, it's it's the case that uh, Ancelotti, who is one of the legends, if you will, of football as far as managing is concerned, was let go pretty quickly by Rummenigge and Hernes, and things went south pretty quickly. And I'm just, you know, as I'm curious, uh, I'm, I'll be curious to see how if things don't start off really well. Especially with a Bayern team that is another year older. I'm thinking specifically of Robin and Ribery. Uh, and uh, who knows if Manuel Neuer will be back next season. Like, I've got to be honest with you, I think this might be a. This might be a really tricky injury, and uh, there's already some talk about him not making uh, making it in time for the World Cup. So uh, there might be some, let's say, not uh, conflict, but uh, going into that season, Bayern might not be at the normally advant- advantageous stage that it uh, usually is when it starts a season. There is so much to unpack from what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> let's start with Kovac, though. So Kovac coming in. Um, there are there are two very distinct um, camps in the Bayern fandom about this news. So there is one who says I uh, played under Trapattoni, and this was during the FC Hollywood phase. So he's got the team and like the mentality and what it like. He understands what a huge club it is and what it means to do that which is fine. I don't necessarily agree that it's a point for being a trainer. And then there's a second side that says he was Bayern Munich's fourth choice and Uli Honus screwed the pooch trying to convince Henkes to stay on for another season (laughs) and uh, lost out on Tuchel, lost out on Nagelsmann, probably lost out on Hasenhutl as well and uh, if rumors suffice maybe Pochettino too so Bayern is going into next season with their fourth or possibly fifth choice trainer I mean that isn't always the worst thing Heiko Herrlich was I think uh, behind Bosch, Tedesco I can't remember if there was anybody else 
third choice for Bayer Leverkusen, and it's turned out fortunately for us that he was actually the best choice for Leverkusen. Right. Uh, and well, Tedesco I mean, is Tedes- doing... Tedesco's done a very good job as well, but yeah. the way he, he played, he has Schalke playing, even though it's effective, it's boring as shit. Right. So <laughs> I'd much rather have the flexibility and adaptability that Herrlich has. But yeah, I mean, it, it is the case that Bayern finds itself in a situation that it's, I think, not normally used to, which is that it's it's not getting its first choice. And uh, it's, it's, it's also somewhat of a thin market. I think Jurgen Klopp would have been another consideration, obviously, but he's not going no, anywhere. No, Klopp, n- Klopp will never come to Bayern Munich. Never. No. Absolutely not. He said so many bad things about the club that it's just never going to happen. And honestly, well, and to be fair, like I, I would rather, I would rather Tuchel than Klopp, like one million percent. I don't know if that makes any sense, but you know, it's a, uh, a little bit of the same kind of football. Although Tuchel tends to futz around a bit more, but Klopp is never going to be at Bayern Munich. I can't ever see it in my lifetime. No, I'm slightly disappointed that it's not going to be Tuchel because, yeah, he's a genius, but he's one of those, um, you know, he's he's one of those geniuses who uh, who's he's uh, problematic, he would, problematic. Yeah, he would, <laughs> yeah, he would come in. Kind, I I I was kind of disappointed because I would love to see him and Rummenigge and Hernes <laughs> um, get into it. Yeah, I mean, he's not he's not as bad a control freak as Pep is. Right. But he, as you said, he does like to tinker a lot. Which, which I, which I appreciate. So, and then there's like, um, uh, when you take Bayern fandom into account, there's like people that are, were pro Pep and people that are like massively anti Pep Guardiola as well. Right. And it's two very, very distinct, highly opinionated, opinionated groups. Um, I tend, I fall in the former. Obviously, if you check my Twitter, my 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 header is Pep. Like you said earlier, you were going to sit in his lap. So oh no, it, I know. It's very clear. It's very clear where you stand on Pep, like, or me, sit on Pep for that matter. Give me some Pep. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I I love that um, flexibility as far as like starting 11s and and bringing new things to the table and like trying to grow every player and just get them to be better players or understanding players and that's something that I feel like that Pep did extraordinarily well and um, I have the feeling that Tuchel could have done it too no. no, absolutely, absolutely. But with Pep, um, you have to you have to like remember with Bayern comes in this this structure, this uh, uh, hierarchy, and if you come in like Pep Guardiola does, and you tell people how you want stuff, and they will have been there 30, 40 years and said, no, look, this is my uh, my um, area of expertise. Uh, it'll rub a lot of people the wrong way. Um, and I think that's part that's part of it. I I completely agree with you. I love I love his approach to football and his perfectionism and 
Right, right. And and two whole and maybe uh Nagelsmann on the same level but to a little bit of a lesser extent. Like if you talk about Nagelsmann and Bayern, you can expect um youth to be promoted and brought up. Um and then he's got the world in front of him as far as like uh dollar values for players, you know. So Sorry to interrupt. I, I wanted to ask you something because this is always uh, one of the things that always bothers me about Bayern Munich is the fact that anytime there's a trainer search, there's always this en- emphasis on um, the fact that the trainer has to be able to speak German, that the trainer has to be a German speaking coach. And um, I think in 2018, personally, this is just my own, you know, this is just my own personal opinion. I think in 2018, that's a little bit of a too traditional of a outlook on things. And, um, you know, players, players will get, get along fine with, um, uh, an English speaking coach or with a trans, you know, whatever coach it is, um, with a translator. I mean, for Christ's sakes, I, I guess this must've been born out of Trapatoni or something like that. <laughs> I, uh, I think, I think that it probably, probably was. And, and that's but, really but my, but my point. point. My bigger point though, to that is like, why do they have to go out and say that you can certainly believe that internally and you can tell within the club, say, look, we're not getting anybody who doesn't speak German, but the fact that that they put it out there all the time it, it in my opinion it just damages a little bit or it decreases a little bit the prestige of that club and i don't know what's your what's your thoughts on that so um i have three words for you mia san mia yeah, that's not even German. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's Boyerish, which is its own language. But uh, we are who we are, right? Is right. Uh, is the translation for that, and that's the maybe best way I can explain it. I find it highly arrogant as well. Don't get me wrong, um, but but that is something that I think will. As long as 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 Kale and Uli are in charge, is never ever going to change. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I I agree. I think I think that's the case. But um, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm go- thanks thanks for answering that because <laughs> it, 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 no, it is something. It is something that every time I see that, I'm just I just have to roll my eyes a little bit. No, I do, I do as well. It's a little but, tone deaf. But it's really funny. Like if you go into like the um, the FC Bayern their YouTube channel and stuff, you see all the guys like there are mandatory German classes. Yeah, no, Pep was taking German like a year before he even started yes. at the club, yes. right, in New York. Yeah. And and Carlo actually managed to a little bit competently speak it as well. But it's mandatory for every Bayern player to take German. And they have actually, they have hired a guy that specifically works with players full-time to take German classes. Which I think is it's kind of amazing. I don't know. No, I think that's. I mean, I think that's a good thing in that regard. Yeah, I think um, integration in a team, especially if you're playing in a foreign country, is is, is a good thing. And uh, I, as a player, I think, and I will definitely. I, as I am now, would love to be in another country and have somebody who is specifically allotted to me to teach me a language. Right. Um, 
Yeah, you, you have to remember, like, um, these are young players, and they come from different countries to Germany, which has its own ways of doing things. And, um, like, getting language tutoring and, like, helping them going to uh, get their, um, their official documents sorted and everything, it's, it's, it's really important to make a, a player feel... Uh, at home and to help welcome, integrate welcome. into the new Absolutely. culture. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really important. And Byron does it well. Um, so uh, <laughs> we segued a lot off, but... Um, yeah, Tom and I are doing a great job of not talking about the actual game. <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect. We don't care. And everybody listening is going to be like, this is awesome anyway, and we know what happened. But... Um, <clears throat> Let's talk about a bit about Sven Ulreich. And Eric, you mentioned it before. Um, he was outstanding once again in this match. Um, like I said, that Leon Bailey free kick was untouchable. And um, the bender goal was kind of, you know, it, it was just kind of all over the place. Right? Yeah. <laughs> But he's been um, tremendous, especially under Henkes. And uh, Henkes has even commented that um, Ulrich has his confidence back and all these things. And maybe you guys don't know, but he was looking to go away from Bayern in the summer. And then he got hurt. He hurt his elbow on their China tour. And ended up staying at Bayern. And this is, I mean, he's going to be Bayern Munich's player of the season. Absolutely. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, no question. I still think Manuel would have held that. We would have saved that to the free kick. (laughs) (laughs) No, there's no way. That was so perfect. It was perfect. I just looked at it. I was like, meh. All right. Cool. Got that one. Um, But Ulreich, especially, and um, you had talked about it, Eric, made two very critical saves on Karim Bellarabi um, on each side of the break. Yeah. And those are are moments that may have changed, like, the tenure of the match or how the match was played. I said that earlier today, actually, to Tom, and he kind of looked at me and rolled his eyes again. And uh, yeah, I was forced to admit, okay, yeah, that may have just meant the game would have been six to three <laughs> instead of six to two. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think I, you can be happy to have a backup keeper um, that good. And I, you know, I'm not sure exactly where he's calling these performances up from. Uh, he was certainly very good at Stuttgart, uh, but uh, I mean. He looks he looks like he belongs as the starting keeper for Bayern Munich, which is not something you would have. I mean, it's not the reason you got him in the first place, and it's not something I would have thought I'd be saying at the beginning of the season. But uh, he does seem to have he, he just seems to have found his groove. Yeah, it's really kind of amazing. So, kicker, we've talked about this on previous podcasts. Kicker picked like um, they had a fan poll picking all positions who would go um, with Germany to Russia in the summer and Ulreich <laughs> ended up on the top three. 
Mm-hmm. Which is no. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think that's you know, if Manuel Neuer's, yeah, I mean, if Manuel Neuer's not fit, then Ter Stegen takes, I would think, takes the, uh, takes the first spot, and then definitely you can argue Ulrich is going to be involved in that conversation. And even if Manuel Neuer does go, there's, uh, if you're basing it solely on performances this year, then Ulrich is still in that conversation. Yeah, but do you actually think that's going to happen? I mean, there, there are a couple of ways you can look at it, right? So I'm pretty sure that Ter Stegen is starting against Mexico, which is Germany's opening match, right? Mm-hmm. Almost positive. There's only four Bundesliga matches yet uh, left. Um, Neuer might get into Bundesliga for the last three, but do you start him against Real Madrid or in the cup final? No. Yeah. And it's and it's Manuel Neuer. Like, how weird is that to like even like that? This is a topic of discussion, right? But you know, he needs he needs Bundesliga minutes to get match fit, and then figure out what happens from there. Um, but right now, looking into going into the summer, it's definitely got to be Ter Stegen as number one, and then. I mean, Neuer is making the team because he's the team captain. But then do you take Leno or do you take Ulreich? Um, yeah, I mean, if I had to make that decision based on – and I would base my decision on performances from this past year, I, I wouldn't ter- take Brent Leno. I, I may be even inclined to take um, – another goalkeeper in the Bundesliga. Don't get me wrong. I love having Ben Leno, but uh, he hasn't necessarily had the best season this year. He's a good shot stopper, but he doesn't play Yogi Lowe's system of being able to, he's terrible when it comes to starting the play and getting out, uh, getting the ball out, distributing the ball in such a way that uh, the attack can begin. So, you know, I yeah. Uh, if it were up to me, I'd be I'd be picking Ulrich over Leno in a heartbeat, actually. <laughs> but we all know that's not going to happen. It's going to be in whatever order. It's going to be Ter Stegen, Leno, and Neuer, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. It may it may be. I don't know. I really do feel as though Luke could throw you know a curveball there and uh, potentially put, nominate somebody else but it's it's also the case that nobody else in the Bundesliga has really distinguished themselves uh, and Kevin Trapp for example isn't uh, the Kevin Trapp of two years ago so um, yeah yeah we'll have to see yeah I'm inter- I, I'm I'm really really interested and entertained. Um, I've given Love a lot of slack, uh, or I've beat him down over the years uh, over uh, who he picks and like his where his loyalties reside. And oh, trust me, so I'm so Leverkusen fans, <laughs> <laughs> and and tactically as well. Um, but interesting to come out of last summer's Confederation. Confederations Cup as winners and seeing finally that he could be a little bit flexible. So I'm 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 really curious to see what ends up happening, you know, when we get to the end of May and uh we see the final twenty-three. It's a it's a tricky one because he runs the World Cup as a club. Yeah. Like 
um, and it can be infuriating for um, for fans of players that aren't involved in that club. But um, if you run a national team, if you if you coach the national team, then you only get to to, to train together like every few months for a couple of days. So if you if you change too much, you're you're not gonna be able to instill that mentality and to um, to get all the the training in with everyone. And I think as as infuriating as it can be, like his success uh, proves us all wrong. Uh, of course, we're all just armchair quarterbacks and, <laughs> and looking for things to complain about pretty much, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, final point before I let you both go and thank you so much for being a part of this. Um uh, Bayern has kind of traipsed through Champions League competition with maybe um, not so stellar opponents until their semifinal now tie against Real Madrid. But uh, the cup has been a lot different. Um, Bayern's had a very, very hard road to get to the final, um, beating Dortmund, beating Leipzig now just beating Leverkusen and probably facing Schalke in the final. And that's kind of a neat, like, turnout rather than playing a Cinderella team or a third division team or whatever to to get to where they are. Is there... Do you guys... One, do you guys tip Frankfurt or Schalke? And two, is there any scenario that you think that Bayern won't lift the trophy? Um, the, and when you say trophy, you mean the Day of Papal Call trophy? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I, I don't think there's any scenario in which they won't. No. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, we are actually all getting ready to watch the second uh, semifinal of the Day of Papal Call uh, here in an hour or so. And I, I, Tedesco's done. I hate Schalke. I probably hate them more than Bayern Munich. It's pretty close, but um, <laughs> probably actually, uh, like, unlike most Leverkusen fans, I, I probably dislike them more than Cologne, to be honest with you. But it's only because I lived um, very close to Gelsenkirchen. And uh, at the time when I did, a lot of my friends supported. Uh, uh, Schalke's big rival, well, Schalke's rivals, bigger, big rivals beyond Dortmund, um, Duisburg, and uh, it's yeah, I, I'm I'm hopeful that Frankfurt wins this, even though I don't care for them all that much either. Um, but uh, yeah, who, whoever does, I think Tede- I, I think Schalke will win because Tedesco is an incredible trainer. Um, but it it really doesn't matter who whoever does win it um, is just going to finish second. Tom. Oh, Schalke are going to win it. Um, just look at the recent run of form. I think uh, I think Frankfurt won't have enough. Yeah, I'm kind of feeling the same thing. It'll be interesting to see Kovac that is now in this uh, elevated state of people that are watching what he's doing and whatever. And I'm sure all Bayern fans will be watching this match just uh, to see how he reacts and and what the result is and everybody's going to have an opinion on it whether it's right yeah, or I mean, wrong. If, 
if Frankfurt get blown out, um, Kovac is going to have to deal with a lot of shit for the next couple of weeks and over the summer. Um, accuse, you know, just, I mean, obviously it'll be bullshit, but accusing him of kind of seeding the match because he's, you know, he's going to Bayern, what have you. Right. Uh, we'll see. I don't know if you're seeding if you lose to Schalke, though, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I Schalke, mean, Schalke plays some... They, It may not be the most exciting football, but it's, it's still... It's not at all. It still is effective. It is, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Guys, um, any last thoughts on on the match yesterday? On to Dortmund. Yeah. On to Dortmund. Yep, we're going to try. Uh, I think uh, the most important thing right now for Bayer Leverkusen is to, uh, the Germanist expression is to kind of wipe off your mouth and go forward. Um, and I think the most important thing for Bayer Leverkusen right now are going to be these last few league matches, especially this one against Dortmund. If we're able to take advantage of Dortmund's poor form and uh, take three points away from them, then we're firmly in the running for Champions League spots next year. And that's actually where Bayer Leverkusen should be with the talent it has on its team. So I think uh, it would have been nice to have won yesterday, obviously. And I think anybody, uh, any Bayer Leverkusen fan would have traded a win yesterday for a champ. Well, not any, but many Bayer Leverkusen fans I know would have traded a win yesterday for a Champions League spot next year, simply because the odds of winning the Pokal would have increased greatly and winning a Pokal is better than qualifying, say, for a Champions League spot. AKA win, uh, winning the Austin Wenger Cup. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, d- I, I really don't feel like there's uh, a reason that Dortmund should beat Leverkusen. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it all depends on how the team's uh, attitude is uh, on Saturday. And if, they, if they're able to wipe this from their memory, then, yeah, they went into Leipzig and they won 4-1. to one. Uh, They can go into Dortmund and win 4-1. to one. And since Tom and I will be there and any uh, rival of Dortmund's will tell you one of the sweetest sounds in the world is hearing that Westfalenstadion or whatever it's called now, silent. And if uh, <laughs> Leverkusen can do that, then that's huge. Get get that whole yellow wall to shut up for like two yep. seconds. Right? <laughs> oh man, it's been so so lovely talking to the both of you, Eric. Uh, where can we find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me at schnix s c h n i x b zero four. Awesome, and Tom. I'm a uh, Megatron. M-E-G-A-T-R-A-U-M. And they uh, they are co-hosts of the very lovely and awesome, and I hope to be a guest soon, on the <laughs> Neverkusen podcast. And that's at Neverkusen Pod, right? Yep, exactly. Awesome. Um, again, thank you for joining me this midweek and this kind of sneaky podcast we're doing right now. Um, <clears throat> I am on the tweets at the Susie Schaff, T H E S U S I E S C H A A F. And uh, we'll get back to you after the first leg of Real Madrid. La Bicia Negra. We're bringing it back. And uh, yeah, we'll chat soon. Thanks, guys, for joining us. 
Thanks, Susie. Thank you. Oh,